Well, good morning again. Man, it's great to see you guys. Who's all excited for summer break? Anybody? All the parents are like, how many of you wish we had year-round school? <laughs> yep, I see those hands. Yep, that would be me. You know, the Clark House will look like a bomb went off every day. Um, just because I've got extra bodies at home. So, but it's great to see you. It is summertime. And so, you know, we always try to kick off a new series during the summer, something kind of not necessarily lighter, but something that uh, we know that summertime is vacation time. So this isn't a series that builds on itself. You can kind of pop in and out as you need to on vacation and you'll be right where you need to be every time you show up. But um, we're, here's the question for you. Um, and understand, I'm not trying to, this isn't confession time, like you have to admit something that's going to be embarrassing, so don't feel that way, okay? But what are some of your favorite shows, TV shows, movies, podcasts, books, music, apps, games, whatever? What are some of the fa things that, that you find that you do for entertainment, enjoy it, pop culture kind of things? Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso, now over, done. Yes, three seasons and out. I like it that way. Okay, hold on. What was that back there? Dungeons and Dragons podcast. Okay. Awesome. What else was there? Frontline 60 minutes. Frontline 60 minutes. The old man is sitting up here in the front. Stuff You Should Know podcast. Okay, I see. If you agree with the things that are being shouted out, I mean, give me an amen. We'll be good Baptists today, right? Okay. Uh, anything else? What else do you watch or listen to? Love is blind. Love is blind. You don't have to call me out, man. That's going to be one of the weeks we have coming up. I'm, but Love is Blind is only one avenue of that, right? Because there's also The Bachelor. Any, yeah? No? Yeah? Same thing. Oh, you can try to say it's not, but it is. What else we got? Monopoly. Monopoly, okay. Any Monopoly fans out there? Oh, I see some like hard nose on that one. That's interesting. <laughs> wow. Anti-Monopoly, who knew? Anything else? Glee. Glee. Okay, who said Glee? Where'd that come from? Oh, Glee. That's an old one now. That's good. Dating yourself there, Blessing. That's right. Sneaky Sasquatch. Sneaky Sasquatch, okay. Yep, my kids love that one as well. Any card game, okay? Any movies out there that you're like particularly passionate about? Maybe even something happening this summer. You're thinking, I think this will be really good. Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. Yeah, that one looks pretty good, doesn't it? Barbie. The Flash. What was that, Liza? Barbie, Barbie movie. Okay, Barbie. Yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay, so see, this is good because this is a, a good reminder because it means we're all aware of the world. None of us are living in a cave, but we're all decently aware of the things happening in the world around us. And so what we're going to do over the course of this summer is we're going to be in this series that we're calling In Plain Sight, Theology All Around Us. And I realize theology is even one of these words that we don't use outside of church most of the time. What is theology? You know, well, we have to break it down. It's theos, which is God, and ology, which is the study of. And so we're talking, you know, theology is kind of the study of God, but really what we're talking about here is not just the study of God, but how do we live in the world and how do we see who God is? How do we understand who he is and what he's like and how he interacts with us and these things? Because we all live in this world. We know that. We are aware of the things happening around us in the world, but we're also inundated with 
unlimited stimuli all the time. I mean, we could ask that question about what we're watching or what our friends are watching or podcasts or games or all this thing, and we could be here for years listing everything out because we know that there's tons of shows and information, and we didn't even talk about advertising or even social media. The, the question, you know, all of this, and the question we have is, is God a part of any of this? Is God a part of any of this? Or better yet, in the things that we see and hear and take part in, can we see God in that? Can God speak to us through it? That's really the question we have. And we want to kind of look at some areas and maybe see that. So there's a couple of reasons for the series. One of them is this. In seminary, I actually had a class, a couple of theology classes, where we were assigned the task of watching a movie, um, which I thought was great, right? I mean, that's the best class in the world. But then the twist was you had to write a theological synopsis of the movie. Oh, take the fun right out of it, right? Here's, here, I actually found the syllabus this week. It said, students will write one movie synopsis this semester. In the review, the student will discuss the basic plot and themes, discuss the theological issues that are raised, evaluate the theological conclusions of the film, and critique the film as a work of art. Fun, right? I mean, who? And so I, I had two classes that had this. One of them, I remember I did The Book of Eli. Anybody remember that movie? <laughs> kind of cheated, right? I mean, it's a, a movie about the Bible. Not too hard to find the theology. I was just trying to get through at this point. I mean, seriously, I just wanted the degree. Um, I did lay Miz for the other one. It, it had come back out with uh, Hugh Jackman and, and those, so it was good. But that's one of the reasons I've always kind of had this. I thought that was a fun assignment. And it's always kind of shifted my mind when I watch things to kind of look at things a little differently. Sometimes, no, let me back up. No, sometimes I just watch just garbage just to vegetate, okay? I am that guy too. But sometimes I watch things and I think, oh, there's a deeper message here. There's a really significant point that is the gospel or the message of Jesus or things like that. So I've always kind of had that in my mind. But another reason I wanted to do this is because I believe most of the time, we live as functional deists. You know what I mean by that? You know what a deist is? Thomas Jefferson is probably the most famous deist. He was a guy who believed there is a God, but God was kind of out there. A deist at its root believes that God created everything, kind of like uh, creating a watch. And then he winds up or the clock and he winds up the clock and then he sets it out there and then God just kind of moves far away. Not really involved in our lives anymore. He just kind of created and he's just kind of sitting back like this. That's kind of what a deist is. And I think, I believe, that a lot of times many of us live as functional deists. We don't see God around us. To be fair, we don't expect to see God around us. Now, we may say a prayer here or there. We might think about God or we might think about faith on Sundays. Maybe at other times, especially if life gets hard or something happens and we need God in that moment. But I think most of the time, God doesn't stay top of mind for us. And I'll tell you, I don't think we're totally to blame. Um, I think there are reasons for this. I mean, we can thank the Enlightenment. We can thank uh, scientific reason. We can thank secularism and all these things. They've done a pretty good job of reasoning God away. I mean, think about it. The last time that you had something happen that you might say was a God thing, you typically always have somebody right there beside you that can reason that away for you. Tell you why there's a good reason that happened scientifically or whatever. 
We just kind of move those things away. And so what we've done is kind of made God unnecessary. It's not that we don't believe in God. It's just that we're here and he's out there somewhere. And maybe the two paths will cross, maybe, but maybe not. And if it does happen, usually we're like, wow, what just happened? Surprising, which tells me we don't really expect it. So author and seminary professor Andrew Root, my staff is so tired of me talking about this book, uh, Faith Formation in a Secular Age, talks about how we have flattened reality. We've removed the presence and the action of God from our lives and what he calls transcendence. Uh, and he says that we've come to a place where we could, even without realizing it, talk about faith without talking about God. Does that resonate with you? It does with me. When I read that, I went, yeah. And I'm not just thinking, yeah, my people at Ashworth, they're so, this is, just, I thought, even for me, I find that sometimes I, I, I live that way. I don't intentionally do it, but it just happens. But what happens is when we remove what Root calls transcendence, this presence and action of God in our lives, we have to get creative. We kind of have to get innovative. We have to have better marketing strategies in order for what we do here on Sunday to even matter, for this to make sense for us to really wake up on Sunday morning to be a part of. So we have to create things that are relevant or make people mean, show that this means something. But I think we've gotten it all wrong. I really do. Even though we're pulled by extremely strong forces to the imminent, the things that we can touch and taste and feel, deep within us, we all desire more. We all long for more. And we know there's more. And we're trying to figure out how to get more. Because I do believe that the reason you're here this morning is that you really do believe that God is all around us. God continues to move all around us. He's revealing himself to us in many different ways. He's inviting us to know him, not just intellectually, but experientially, to kind of have this life where we engage with God and to know him means to experience him in our lives. And when we get to know him and we experience him, then what we find is we become more like him especially his son, Jesus, in this process that we, we just look more like him. And in that, we find abundant life. I was laying in bed the other night, and I was thinking through this, and I thought these words. And as I, I, was, I, I lay in bed, I write sermons in my sleep as I'm about to drift off. It's really terrible. And often, if I have a thought, I'll email it to myself. And I wrote, I emailed myself this, and I said, I conclude, God is all around us, but are we too blind? too busy, too cynical, or just too ignorant to realize it. I can get a little salty. I actually said stupid in my original email, but I didn't think that was nice, so I get salty in my unfiltered thoughts. But I wondered that. Do we believe that God is all around us? Do we believe that God is inviting us to know him and to experience him? And if so, then what's keeping that from happening? So let's jump into this idea that God is in plain sight. But as we, my message team, has been meeting for several weeks talking about this, we immediately encountered a challenge. And I think you guys demonstrated that challenge for us today. Do you guys realize how few shared experiences we have anymore? I mean, think about that. 
How many things were mentioned in this room this morning that some of you went, I've never heard of that. I don't have a clue what they're talking about. It makes it difficult for us to find shows or songs or podcasts or whatever that reaches most, if not all of you. I mean, think about it. When was the last time or what was the last water cooler show or movie that you remember most people talking about? You know what I'm talking about with that? First off, let me back up. For the young people in the room, this is a water cooler. There you go. I even put an arrow on it so you would know what the water cooler is. That's a water cooler. And occasionally, now you may have forgot this, occasionally you'd have to wake up in the morning and get dressed and leave your house to go to work. I mean, it's back in the old days, right? I mean, when I had to walk 50 miles to school uphill both ways in the snow, you know? But this would be the thing that you would talk about. You guys remember these days? What was the last thing you remember talking about? What was the thing that was a shared experience for most of the people that you were with? Game of Thrones. Thrones. Friends. Friends. Seinfeld, thank you. Go ahead, Paul Porter. What'd you say? You said Lost. Lost Friday, that's right. Lost. The Office. Do you guys know when The Office went off the air? Like 10 years ago. It was like started in 2005 to 2013 or something like that. Seinfeld was before that. Seinfeld was when I was graduating high school, like 90s, early 90s. I know, makes me old, right? Still, still all life relates to Seinfeld, I get you. But think about that. Think about that. Everything we've mentioned is many years old. Game of Thrones may be the most recent. I don't know when it went off the air, but that may be the most recent. But there's nothing that really draws us together. And as I was researching this this week, I ran across an Esquire magazine article from February of this year. Look at the title of that. The long-awaited return of weekly water cooler television. Really? Anybody else read that and kind of go, who wrote that? Somebody's really out of touch with reality to think that's going to agree on something. I mean, good grief. We can't even agree on a streaming platform. I mean, think about it. Our society has become more fragmented with less and less things that actually bring us together. The one exception that I can think of, you guys know what it is? Sports, thank you. Sports being the one exception that will bring us together. However, everything else just kind of seems to fragment us. And here's why. I was reading this week and I ran across this and I don't know how to prove this to be true, but it was certainly interesting. I thought, man, from the dawn of humanity until 2003, the record, amount of recorded information is five exabytes. Okay, that's five billion gigabytes for those who want to know. Five exabytes, okay, from the dawn of humanity to 2003. Then this book said that from 2003 to 2010, seven years, we generated another five exabytes of data, of information. And then by 2018, 90% of the world's data had been generated in two years from 2016 to 2018. Think about that. There's no wonder we're so fragmented. It's no wonder that we're not even on the same page because we're just inundated with things around us. From the numerous streaming platforms to pick from and the unending shows on the unending platforms, it is difficult for us to find common experiences anymore. Not only that, we've also found that less that brings us together. We've moved into camps. 
And these camps that we find ourselves in, we stay there because they reinforce the ideas that we have. And I heard somebody say this week that we've moved from observation and information to affirmation. And I thought that, well, that's very true. I can only watch what I, affirms what I already believe because I don't want to be corrupted by something someone else might think or believe. So as we talk about these different elements from culture, I want to say, encourage you, be open to maybe something you don't like, you would never like, but maybe even possibly God could use to speak to you through. Because God can reveal himself and he might even reveal himself through something you disagree with. After all, as I saw tweeted recently, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. Yeah, that's a good one, right? A lot of truth to that. But there's more to this that we have to face, not just that we're disconnected and disjointed, but there's a reality, I think, that supersedes all this if this series is going to matter at all. And it's just simply this. God has a desire to be known. Sit in that thought for just a moment. God has a desire to be known. Do you know that? Do you really know it? Now, where do I come up with that? How do I get to this place of understanding that, that there's a God that wants to be known? Well, we go back to the scriptures, right? We go to the Bible and we begin to see the God who is revealed there. We see a God at the beginning of Genesis, a God who creates. And even in how he creates, he reveals himself through his creation. I mean, Psalm chapter 19, verse 1 says this. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hand. Who here can testify that sometimes you just catch a view of nature and it just, just moves you. There's just beauty in it. And there's just something, and you, you know that even though there's this camp out there that says there is no God, and we're just random chance, and just, you know, the ooze just happened to come together just so, and yet you know, and you look, and you see, and you say, mm-mm, there is no way. Or you're in the delivery room for the birth of your child, and you hold that child for the first time, and you look down, and you see life that came from you and that whole mystery. And you're like, how in the world did this happen? And you're just, again, that moment of awe. And you, that psalm resonates with you. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hand. What is God's glory? It's his distinction. It's his reputation. It's his testimony. It's the part of him that's being made known to us. And we see this not just in Genesis. The Apostle Paul believed this as well. In Romans chapter 1, verse 20, Paul's writing to the Christians over in Rome, and he tells them this. He says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. God has put himself into the creation. It's like you walk out into the foyer and you see the artwork on the wall. And we're so blessed to have Suki to be a part of our church. She has such a skill and a talent for art. And, but every time you see what she has made, you see a little bit of herself in that. And that's exactly how God has created the world around us. And that's just the start. 
Because with the creation of, of humanity, look at what Genesis 1 continues to say. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. You know what the significance to me right now in that verse is? And God uh, blessed them and said to them, because it's not just that God created and he reveals himself and we go, yay, God, because then God creates us and then he initiates a conversation with us. I mean, think about the just absurdity of that statement for a moment. He's initiated a conversation with us. He didn't have to, but from the start, he's not just showing himself out there. He's showing himself personally to us, pursuing us with a desire to know and be known by his creation. And even then, as you make your way through the Old Testament, you see God continuing to reveal himself, having conversation with people, Abraham and Moses. And then the instructions of building the tabernacle where God can live among his people and eventually the temple. And then speaking through the prophets and then the things that they would write down. And then you see the ultimate revelation in the per person of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter one in the New Testament the writer there writes this. It says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors. And again, you could stop right there. In the past, God spoke to us. Done, right? I mean, just the heaviness and the significance of that statement. But in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the universe. And look at this next line. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. He's the radiance of God's glory. He's his reputation. He is his testimony and the exact representation of his being. You know what that says? You want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. He is the stamped image of God. And while many people want to get wrapped in up, wrapped up in a, but what about debate. You ever had that before? But what about, you know, the Old Testament? Look at Jesus. But in the Old Testament, God went to war and he was talking about destroying. Look at Jesus. You want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. That's where we start and that's where we end. Because John chapter one tells us the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is God moving into the neighborhood, living among his people, right then temporarily, but permanently one day in the new creation that is to come. And you know what to makes this so amazing to me is that this isn't an accident. It's not like God went, ah, crud. They can see me right there in those stars. Oh, I should have never, shouldn't have done that. Every way that God has revealed himself to us is on purpose because he has a desire to be known. He has a desire to be known. He isn't some deist God off in some obscure corner playing some sadistic cosmic game of hide and seek with us. He's putting it all out there right in the open for us to see. 
In fact, the only reason we can know God and who he is is because he has chosen to reveal himself to us. I mean, think about that. We wouldn't have a clue. We'd be stumbling around in the dark going, God, God, except for the fact that God said, I want you to know me. And I'm going to do everything in my power to help you see and find me. The late theologian John Stott wrote these words. He says, the Bible reveals a God who long before it even occurs to man to turn to him. While man is still lost in darkness and sunk in sin, God takes the initiative, rises from his throne, lays aside his glory and stoops to seek until he found him. That's beautiful, isn't it? The links that God was willing to do. And that's the essence of Christianity personally knowing a loving and pursuing God. But it goes back to that question I asked earlier. Are we really looking for him? Are we expecting him? I think I'd have to answer that no sometimes. Because whether or not we're looking and expecting will have a tremendous impact on whether or not we see him in the world around us. Do you agree with that? It does, right? I mean, if we don't ever expect to see God, we're not going to find him. It's like this. I saw this recently. Um, put that next slide up. What does that say? God is now here. God is now here. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. What'd you see, Amy? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's a great illustration, right? It matters what you're looking for. That can say God is nowhere. Just matters where you put the spaces, right? Or it can say God is now here. I love that. Perspective matters. And God continues to reveal himself to us, even and especially today. Are we paying attention? When we watch Ted Lasso, are we paying attention? When we listen to the stuff, what'd you say, the podcast? Stuff You Should Know podcast. Are, are we paying attention? Do we see that? There is one more challenge, just want to mention. And I think if you grew up like some of us may have, it's this question of how do we engage with the culture around us? Because, I mean, even listing some of these things growing up, I, you may remember if you grew up in a fundamentalist kind of way, some things were just off, out of bounds. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Some things, most things. Is that better? Most things. were just out of bounds. You couldn't watch it. Ted Lasso, they say dirty words, Matt. I mean, bad dirty words. A lot. I don't know how I know that. Not because I've watched every episode. <laughs> But you know what I'm saying? And the question is, how do we engage with the world around us? You know, I mean, there's a couple of verses we like to pull out in the New Testament. You know, one of them being John 17, right before Je Jesus is arrested and crucified. He's praying for his disciples. And listen to what he says. He says, I've given them your word and the, wor the world has hated them. 
for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. This is where good Christians like to take a verse like that, and we want to put it on a coffee mug or a bumper sticker. And so we create this, be in the world, not of it. And then we have the battle of the prepositions. What does that mean? Be in the world, not of it. And then you have all these ideas of what that means. And uh, there's a book that was actually written in 1951 uh, by a guy named Richard Niebuhr. And it's one of the most important Christian works that is still appropriate today because he outlined like four or five different ways that he thought Christians could engage culture. I'm going to put all, five, all of them on the screen for you right here. All five. And just real quickly, he, he says, some people believe it's Christ against culture. You know what that is? That means you separate yourself. You get out because you cannot be corrupted by this evil and godless world. So the correct response is to withdraw and get away. And we've seen that, haven't we? We've seen people do that. And then the second view is called the Christ of culture, where culture is seen as essentially good without any conflict with Jesus' teachings. Anybody have any issues with that one? Exactly. These first two go to the extremes. You either get away from everything or you're just so consumed by it, you can't tell any difference at all. But then there's three that are kind of in between those. And then there's, you know, there's one that's Christ above culture. And, uh, excuse me, I'm find it here. Christ above culture. And that holds a positive but realistic view of culture, that culture can lead us in the direction of Christ, but can't get you to Christ, that you may see him there, but it's not fully there. Um, then there's the Christ and culture paradox that understands the tension that exists between culture and Christianity and, and Christ, that Christians are forced to live kind of in the world, not of it, between the two kingdoms, that kind of thing. And we live in that paradox between faith and doubt and sin and righteousness and law and grace. And then the last one, Christ, the transformer of culture. And in this one, he writes about, it's kind of a combination of all those, but it says there's a work that Christ is doing inside the culture. We can't separate to be a part of it, but the whole purpose of it is transformation of ourselves and, and seeing Christ do what he does among us. Now, I realize this can be academic or make your head spin, but the question always comes back to how are we to engage the world? If there's cultural things happening, are we to separate? Are we to just be all in? Or can we see the transforming work of Christ happening around us? Sometimes it might feel easier to just sell it all and go live in a monastery in the middle of the desert. Or just to give yourself over to every whim and fancy of the world around us. But I think all of us know deep down that's not what Christ is calling us to. And if we believe God is moving and working, if we desire his transcendence, his presence among us, then I think we all long to see and experience his transforming work in and through us in a world that needs hope, in a world that needs the love of Jesus. I mean, I think that's just where we sit because we've lost transcendence. Do you agree with that? I believe it. I believe we've lost that transcendence. And we as Christians need a better way to engage culture now more than ever. It's not just to be relevant, but it's to bring life. It's bring transformation to those that desperately need it. Now realize that for us, the, the inclination is for us to create rules. 
Let's create barriers and boundaries and rules and say, well, here's what you can watch and can't watch and consume and can't consume. And we'll try to use fear as a motivator for ourselves and others. And we'll raise our voices and shout at people when things maybe start to get out of bounds, hoping that no one can live up to the standard we try to create. But what we're talking about here is engaging culture in a way that doesn't create fear, that we're always afraid of stepping out of bounds because not everything in the world is bad. You guys know that, right? Not everything in the world is bad. Now, not everything is good either, but not everything is bad. And what we need to do is we need to become people who can look and experience and discern. Discern. That becomes the goal. The words of the Apostle Paul, he says, This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, though that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Yep, there's evil things in the world we need to abstain from, but there's a lot of things in the world that we can use to bridge the gap between us and them, God and them. I'm thinking back to the way Paul did it in Acts where he's in in Rome or he's in in the place where there's all these gods and there's an, an altar to the unknown God. And he uses that right there, their culture, their experience to say, you see that one there, the one that's unknown? I know him. Let me tell you about him. And that's what we're hoping to do with this series. To be aware that God is working among us. Using the things around us to really continue to speak and reveal. And to use us to engage the world around us. Not hostily, not as jerks, but in love. So that we can help guide them and help them see and experience that same transcendence of Christ. So let's just take the things you may already be familiar with and consuming and see how they fit with the light and the life of Jesus Christ. I want to show you that your faith isn't just for Sunday mornings only, but this is something that you can experience every day. We aren't trained to look for that transcendence, that presence and action of God in the ordinary, but let's change that. Let's begin to look for God and find him actively moving among us, revealing himself to us. And hopefully, through the process, we'll take a look and see if our theology, our understanding of God is shaping our culture and our world, or if our culture is actually shaping us. Let's pray.